Hey everybody, Josh Sheridan here with the Barely Legal Podcast. It's been a, a minute. I think the last time that we had Gabe in was for our Christmas special where we talked about our favorite Christmas recordings, Christmas albums, Christmas songs. He's been very busy. The courthouses seem to be kind of starting to matriculate back into the old ways of doing things. Has that required you to be more in the courthouse than before? Uh, not so much. I mean, I work in HR, so I'm. our job is kind of always – they always need us no matter what. So what I've been doing and my team has been doing is we've kind of been shifting. We've been working kind of a hybrid shift where we work, for example, two days at home, three days during at the office every week. And we kind of alternate those. But I mean, our job is just never ending. We yeah. never have a lot. It doesn't matter. You're a recession proof, plague proof, exactly. Armageddon proof. Yeah, the, the, the four horsemen are going to be running around and you're going to be banging exactly. out forms. For <laughs> somebody's always going to get hurt. Somebody's always going to have a complaint. Somebody's always going to have an issue that only we can resolve. So so Gabe Etchazabel's on the show today. I'm trying to figure out if you're like the Larry Bud Melman of the podcast <laughs> or the uh, Chris Elliott of the podcast or... And I mean those all in the best possible ways. The uh, I will gladly take either one of those. Sure, I'm trying to. Have, pretty much all of them are are Letterman. But I, I used to love when uh, Chris Elliott would come out and they would say that he who is who is a Apocalypse Now and a Streetcar Named Desire and Marlon Brando. But yeah, they, he was Chris Elliott would always come out and they would introduce him as Marlon Brando and he had no costume on, no makeup on. And if you know what Chris Elliott looks like, he looks nothing remotely like Marlon Brando. But I always love that kind of absurd. Anyway, so yes. so th th that Gabe Betchazabel is on the show. And one of the things that we do here uh, is we kind of come up with a topic and then we, I sit back and listen to Gabe educate the world on these things. So, uh, the last one we did was again the Christmas album. Before that, I think it was New York bands. Um, we did one about male, male frontmen, front men, which is a good transition point to our topic for today. So I'll Correct. hand it over to you. Well, one thing I wanted to say first about this, um, topic is we're going to talk about the women that I think are the most substantial or the most influential in rock and roll is, you know, a lot of times uh, I've had this conversation with people where they say, why do you refer to them as a female artist? You wouldn't say, oh, he's a great male artist. Yes. So, you know, and I believe in that, you know, I think that that's a valid point, you know, because a lot of the women that I'm going to kind of touch on today and talk about, I don't think they've only influenced women or f other females. I think that especially the first one I'm going to talk about, I think that their 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 impact has been far reaching. So sometimes I catch myself and I say, oh, my favorite female artists are. And it's like, why do they have to be differentiated? Because I have this conversation with my black friends all the time. I'm like, do I need to say the word black? Why do I need to say that? I don't say my white friend. Exactly. Why, you know, it's like it feels wrong, but it's so kind of you know, as progressive as I think you and I are, exactly. even in a society that's not quite as progressive as we'd like it to be, we still have these kind of antiquated ways of talking about things that I, I'd like to move past. But, you know, in some ways, it's just kind of built. You got to kind of really make a habit of. But I agree with you completely. You do. It's kind of ingrained. I mean, it's kind of been in our vocabulary Lexicon, for yeah. so long. And uh, I had, I think it was a, a young lady at the record store years ago who made that point. She said, why do you refer to them as female artists? 
they're artists. You don't say male artists. I'm like, you know what? That's a great point. So, so with that said, you know, there's one that I can't wait to talk about. And if she's not on your list, I'll be super amazed, but I'm not going to say it. And by okay. the way, everybody's got a run, run shirt on, which the, that's not lost on me. And oh. it does by design, but I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the girl groups too. Just, yeah. In my, uh, sure, let's do it. in my, uh, dissertation yeah. dissertation uh -huh. here thank you um so with that said i wanted to start with the one who and, and you know knowing me that punk rock new wave new york scene the british punk scene that's my favorite era Red of butter, music yeah. you know that's kind of where i live so um with that said um i don't think that a lot of again not just women but men i don't think a lot of them would have had the audacity to do what they did without Patti Smith. Okay. I mean, Patti Smith was probably the most unlikely, quote unquote, rock star. And she's not a rock star, which kind of ties into this. But you know, she, she's, she's just the most unlikely kind of figurehead. But the fact that she does carry those characteristics or those traits are what make her so great. I mean, she was super androgynous. Some people couldn't tell if she was a man or a woman. She looks like Joey Ramone, kind of. Yeah. And and she always, in my mind, whether this is by design or if you'd agree, and even with some of the music she ended up recording, was kind of the female, and here I go, I'm going to do it right now, the <laughs> female Bruce Springsteen, the female Bob Dylan. Sure. You know, and I even think, because of not, is that that's her, right? Isn't that one that she did with... Bruce wrote it, but kind yeah, of yeah, gave it to yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think she just was, she's who I had to start out with. I mean, she was very intelligent, very well read. She's a poet. She a New Yorker? Yeah. Yeah. Well, not originally. She was originally from, gosh, um, I know she lived in New Jersey when she was very young, but New York is where she kind of got her, you know. Blossomed. Exactly. Yeah. Hanging out with uh, Jim Carroll and with the photographer, Robert Maplethorpe, who she mm -hmm. was really good friends with. Um, so she's just, she's such a conundrum, but she's influenced so many people, right? Um, you know, she broke down so many doors for, again, not only men, but a lot of women. I mean, a lot of male Is artists. Is she gay? Is she gay? No, uh, she no, okay. no, she's straight. Um, a lot of the male artists that I really like, for example, and I wrote them down, Michael Stipe, huge Patti Smith fan. Yeah. I mean, he pretty much has said that she was the reason why he started doing what he did. Uh, Simon LeBond from Duran Duran, who I love, huge Patti Smith fan. Morrissey covered a lot of her songs. Anyway, so her her impact has been great. Um, and I think what she did was she just signaled a new era of, of you know, the, the, the kind of, um, you know, you didn't have to be this glamorous, beautiful, you know, pinup of a woman to have a hit record. When was she kind of making it big? Was that early 70s, late 60s? First album was 75. Okay. But my, she, the year of my birth. Yeah. So, she had yeah. been in New York for a while. She was a writer. Okay. I mean, she was a, a music critic. She was a poet. She had done a lot of spoken word stuff. But the first album that she released, Horses, which is, you know, just a magnificent record, that's when all the attention started focusing on her. And um, I, I just think she kind of, without maybe knowing it, or maybe she did know it or didn't know it, she kind of ushered in this new era of, of you know, the 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 well-read singer-songwriter. Literary, unaffected. Well, totally. maybe I don't know if it's unaffected, but yeah, not so not so worried about looking like a rock star, you know. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So 
So I had to start with her because I think she's great, kind of great, great start at the pinnacle. Um, I'll move forward and I'll come back to that era a little bit. But, you know, a lot of times, a lot of people don't realize or maybe don't equate this person with the rock era because they know her from the 80s or they know her from kind of more adult contemporary stuff she's done. But Tina Turner, oh. huge, huge rock and roll pioneer. My, right? my dad, my dad. I've always suspected that my dad was gay. This is a this is a conversation I've had with a lot of people. He uh -huh. he would, you know, every stereotype that you can attribute. He he owned an antique store. He was in the navy. He was in the priesthood. He never talked about women. Didn't care about. I mean, not to stereotype or whatever, right. but all of them like check 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 it. And a certain part is like, well, well, you know, what's going on here? He would never talk about women. You know, friends' dads would like look at the rack on this or look. You know, <laughs> never talked about women. He absolutely adored Tina Turner. He talked about her constantly, how beautiful she was, and da da da. da. I mean, it was funny. It was just weird because my dad, you know, is from Albany, New York, white guy, Irish Catholic, but just Tina Turner was it for him. She's on the list. Yeah. I mean, she's on the prerequisite yeah, list for, yeah, yeah. you know, the gay man yeah, started. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's another box checked for him. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, she, you know, she, she, Helped Mick Jagger kind of with his stage presence. I didn't know that, but yeah. I can see it perfectly. I mean, she and Ike were uh, the opening act for the Stones in 69. Wow. And from a lot of accounts, you know, a lot of people say she kind of, she blew she him away. Moves, you know, yeah. She, yeah. Well, so, I mean, she, talk about energy and just oh, bombast man. and everything else. And just her voice and her presence oh, and her everything. Her private and, dancer and. Oh, yeah, you know. And, not and, to mention Thunderdome. Holy shit. I mean, exactly. I, was a, I, was a, I was in a, you know, formidable age when <laughs> she was roaming around in that movie. Exactly. So. And, you know, um, uh, Pete Townsend asked her to be, portray the acid queen in the movie version yeah. of, of uh, Tommy. Um, obviously, I mentioned the Stones, but huge supporters of Tina Turner. So I don't think she gets enough credit for being like a, a very strong figure in the rock world. But I think she's definitely deserving. Of well, it. as much as James Brown, then there's kind of these kind of transitions from the, you know, the R&B or whatever the, you know, where it kind of the blues guitar, it right. really starts to kind of convert into its own type of music. She's definitely on that bridge there. Most yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, Most yeah, definitely. I agree. But um, you know, I wanted to also, there's so many that I want to talk about, but I'm not going to, you know, go into detail about all You're of them. You're going to see me light up. There's one of them that when you talk about, I'm okay. light up. Okay. Um, next. I'm more excited. We usually, usually Gabe and I talk about the topic for much further in advance. This was kind of a quick turnaround. He was available. I was like, let's come on and pick a topic. And he told me, so I didn't have the time to kind of, you know, meditate on it like I normally would. But as soon as he said it, right away, there was a name that pops in my mind. But anyway, oh, good. So I have a lot of anticipation. Go ahead. Good, good. So I'm anxious to hear that. Um, you know, a lot, again, somebody who people don't think of in the rock uh, medium, but Joni Mitchell, huge, huge, huge influence on, you know, I will say both, both, uh, both uh, genders, but more, more so on women, I think. But, um, you know, another just, Right up there to me. She's like Mark Twain or like exactly. Walt Whitman or whomever. It's John Steinbeck. Like she's she's the 20th century's equivalent of those authors. You know, uh, recording artists as a literary entity or a a a vehicle for literary communication was a relatively new thing. You know, right. if you go back earlier than that. 
a lot of it's instrumental or a lot of it is just slave hymns or whatever these things are, but telling a story that's deep that, you know, I, I really think you start coming through the early part of the 20th century and that's when it starts to take off. And then you get to a point in the 50s, 60s and 70s with people like Patti Smith, with people like Bob Dylan, with people like Springsteen, with people like Joni Mitchell that, I mean, they're like prose. It's like yeah. Shakespeare. It really is just amazing. And one of the, one of the beauties of the way she works is she just has such an unusual way of putting those images and those lyrics into the song. Very because, visual. Yeah, but, but by the time the song is over, you're like, what the hell is she talking about? Right. But you're still so intrigued. You sure. Know? So, yeah. Um, you know, I think her album Blue from 71, which is, you know, a lot of people refer to as her milestone or her pinnacle. I mean, to me, that set the standard for the female singer songwriter. Um, I think that that's just a huge album. Again, not just a huge quote female album, but a huge album just across the board. That's just a monster album that, you know, kind of set it, it kind of set the course for the rest of what she was going to do. And of course, she wasn't happy to stay in that box. You know, she started dabbling with jazz and with all kinds of stuff in the years that would follow that. But I, I think she's, she's had a long career, though. Huge. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. 40 plus. Oh, easily. Yeah. 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 So um, next, one of my favorites, one of my all time favorites. I feel is- like it's Christmas morning and each time I'm opening a package. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> I like that. Lay it on me. Uh, Joan Jett. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. Now, so let's talk about Joan Jett. So um, it's funny. I just heard her on, uh, well, not just, but on Mark Maron's podcast mm-hmm. not too long ago. And she had like her partner who I think is like her boyfriend or her husband. And it was such a weird podcast because it seemed like they had a very dysfunctional relationship. And she's got this very heavy kind. She sounds like a Sopranos character when she yeah. talks. Yeah. <laughs> so she's, you know, she's, she's an interesting character. Anyway, go ahead. No, I just, I can't say enough about her. She's tough, gritty. She's totally dedicated. I mean, she started when she was a teenager in the Runaways and she stayed with that band through the very end. And even though Which, they got, by the way, you know, you know this, but has somebody else that was very big in my life in 10 to 13 years age. Probably not going to be on your list. Lita Ford? Yeah. She's not on my list, but. <laughs> but- she, I mean, she, yeah, I mean, they're, yeah, they're, you know, with the MTV, you know, sure. headbangers ball era, you know, the, she was one of the few people that you could listen to a female metal, you know, that kind of wasn't completely, you know, marginalized. Oh, but I think she added, she was, she added so much balance to the runaways because she was definitely more hard rock and metal. And Joan Jett was leaning more towards a lot of the more, you know, punk rock stuff sure. and Iggy Pop and the Ramones and stuff like that. So I think they they kind of added their yeah. own flavor to that band. But that band got screwed in so many ways. I don't know the story that well. And I know there's been a couple of documentaries and movies out that I really haven't spent time with. But I, I would love to I mean, they were, get into that more. There were young females who wanted to start a rock band because they loved David Bowie and Iggy Pop and all these people. And can only imagine the kind of Me Too experience they probably oh, went my. through. I mean, Harvey Weinstein was probably the every record executive that you would have run into, every club owner that you would have run into. Exactly. Well, the guy who was kind of their Svengali, Kim Fowley, I mean, his he was kind of the American counterpart. Well, he was doing it first before Malcolm McLaren with the Sex Pistols and stuff. But, I mean, he was kind of this wicked mastermind. And he just, he marketed them as jailbait, you know. Yeah. 
hey, look at these young girls. Wouldn't you like to, you know, they were get in sync their... before there was NSYNC or Backstreet you know, Boys or any of the, yeah, I mean. Exactly. And all these scumbag club, yeah. club owners and yeah. record label people. I mean, they just ate it up. Yeah. And that's how they were marketed. And it was really unfair because they, they never got the fair shake. Everybody thought that they band could have had, had the same longevity as a lot of other. You oh, know, easily. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. yeah. So um, she's somebody who I've loved for many, many years. And I think she's continued to stay true to what she does. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, she just does covers or, you know, she's just ripping off Susie Quattro. Yeah. You know what? So what? But she Everybody's brought, ripping off e someone Everybody else. Yeah. is, you know, but but she definitely brought that kind of to the forefront. And I think a lot of young girls who kind of were not really sure how they should where the, what their place was in rock and roll. I think she solidified it yeah, for them yeah. and kind of gave them some guidance. So I can't say enough about her. Um, kind of the same era. Um, we got to talk about Pat Benatar. I mean, fantastic vocalist. Pat Benatar and Joan Jett uh, kind of occupy this, this flip sides of a coin to me. Not, not necessarily opposites, but they, they've always kind of, our roommates in my brain, oh, you know, you, you know yeah, very you, similar. You equate them. Yeah. Yeah. The, the great thing about uh, Pat Benatar was, you know, she had this really tough image, but she was still, but she was ultra feminine too. Yeah, yeah. There was those two sides to her. And I don't think she gets enough credit. I mean, I know a lot of people recently with the recent Rock and Roll Hall of Fame snubs, I've heard a lot of people say, what about Pat Benatar? You know, she's hasn't even been considered. And, you know, I would make a strong case for her being inducted. Um, you know, just fantastic, great, uh, uh, classically trained vocalist. And she's still got a super loyal following. So I think she's. I think the heart, I just had this beautiful idea. You might be able to get behind it. I think the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for every two people they vote in, they need to vote one, one person out. Just to clean house a little bit. <laughs> like that was a mistake. We we realized that was a mistake. We're getting rid of it. You know, it's funny because I was thinking about this because with these recent snubs and, yeah. you know, a lot of my friends are just appalled that. Iron Maiden didn't get in and that the Foo Fighters did or appalled that, you know, somebody got uh, passed over, you know, but this has been going on for decades. I mean, how many people, how many times have the Grammys awarded a best new artist to somebody who you're going, what? who the yeah. hell cares? Yeah. You know, yeah. how is that person significant in this day and age? So it's. I almost think the Hall of Fame takes a certain amount of pride in shunning certain acts or skipping over like. That's that's almost more than who gets in is who didn't get in. That's exactly. talked about. That's like the always the conversation point. Exactly. You know, and yeah, you're right. I think there is a certain sort of, you know, uh pride, like kinda I don't know what you call it, but you know yeah, like, like hater pride, like Oh yeah, that band, you know, they sold out or you know, it's always that the naysayer that's kind of shitting on something. Exactly. Yeah. You know, people were pissed when, you know, Rush didn't get in for years or Deep Purple didn't get yeah. in for years. But I mean, as much as I like those bands, those were bands that critics shit on yeah. from day one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you never read like a strong, strong review album or, yeah. review for either of those bands. So, um, okay, going on from Pat Benatar, got to talk about her. Stevie Nicks. Yes, this is the one. Yes. Okay. Thank you. The the funny thing about Stevie Nicks, there's, well, there's a lot of <sighs> odd things about Stevie Nicks, but I saw Stevie Nicks, I've seen her in concert a few times and- one of the last I've, times I've I saw her, her. I've fed her. I've fed her. I'm just going to put that out there. What? Yeah. Keep going. Oh, well, we got to come back to that. <laughs> um, she, I want to say it was about four or five years ago. 
she was touring as the opening act for Rod Stewart. Uh-huh. And I love Rod Stewart. I don't give a shit what anybody says. I love the faces. I love most of Rod's solo stuff. Um, but she opened for Rod Stewart. And man, wow. I felt bad for Rod because I'm like. Hard act to follow. She just tore it up more more so than I had ever seen her do. I don't know if she was kind of rising to the occasion, like I'm opening for this guy, but I mean, she just poured it on. Yeah, she got a pretty long set. It wasn't like your typical 45 minute opening set. She played over an hour and she just, to me, I think she's getting better with age. I mean, I think her voice still sounds great. I think she's totally focused. I know for a while there, you know, there was a lot of other things going on in her, her life and her nose and her <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah. i think i don't think her 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 focus was on totally what she was doing but i think she's great uh, she's gotten so much better i mean she's so mesmerizing she's still got the mysterious prime aura. era stevie nicks was just it for me you know rihanna and all these other things with oh, the yeah. flowy gowns and she was just gorgeous no makeup on and there was just such a weird and i even before i was old enough to get what i was looking at there was just always and i know fleetwood mac and they kind of get that eagles you know it's like right thought rock you know it's bullshit it's commercial. You know, i love i love fleetwood mac me too I, and in all eras of you me know too. peter green era and then the buckingham nicks era but what a just crazy story. Like they are the, the tip of the spear of rock and roll band. You know, just everybody was fucking the other one and having an affair on the other one and drug problems. And okay, you're going to join. Now you're out. And now she wants to be with Tom Petty and then Buck, you know, Buckingham's out. We're going to take Tom Petty's guitarist and all this other bullshit. It's just like they just every trope of rock music, rock band, they, were set the trend for it and so much drama oh my god i mean you know just just crazy and you it's the i love watching videos of them because they're all just high out of their mind like you watch mick fleetwood on the drums and his eyes like quadruple in size and you know he's just done a ton of whatever oh yeah but she just for me and then but it was funny because that wasn't where i entered that wasn't where i got on the stevie nicks train it was the solo mm-hmm. when mtv you know because i was born in 75 sure so that was you know Fleetwood mac was in their full full speed at that mm-hmm. point already so when i came away it was like stand back or whatever what was jump but whatever that video was yeah. and she was on her own and you know, it was a lot more synthy poppy music. And I remember I was like, I dig this. And then I was like, oh, but she was in this band and watching all this stuff. And then you start to hear the story. And then just, yeah, she, she, she when you told me the topic, that was the immediate thought that came to my mind. So. Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't not mention her. So, in co- sorry to cut you off. So no. in college, when I went to UCF, I used to, uh, I, I was in the catering for the arena where the magic played. Mm-hmm. And so all the boxes um, we would feed all the people and whenever there was a big concert, we would serve the act before we served the boxes. So I literally passed out bullshit Cuban sandwiches and shitty salad to Mick Fleetwood, <laughs> Lindsey Bucking, you know, the whole crew before any of them were gone. Wow. Uh, yeah. Christine McVie, the, the, her husband or her ex-husband. Yeah. You know? John. Yeah. So I got to hand them all their food. So I didn't really feed them, but kind of fed them. Hey, that's, that's amazing. Um, the great thing about her too, well, and I said this about Pat Benatar, but I'm going to say this more about Stevie Nicks. The following, oh my God, so loyal. Probably one of the most loyal followings in all of rock and roll. I mean, people swear by her. And it sounds like her. 
No, no one. She's kind of the female Ozzy Osbourne in a weird way, <laughs> the very nasally resonant way, you know, about it. But it's just such a you just know it's her. You know, it's you, her half of a syllable out of her mouth. It's like, oh, that's her from the first note. Yeah. And there's so many people who are um, just so divided, like people who love her, hate Lindsey Buckingham and they uh-huh. can't stand him. And I know some people who feel the other what's way around. The, what's so so you'll probably be able to educate me on this, but uh, you know, they were dating. Yeah. And they, I saw the sound city documentary yeah. and evidently like they were doing their album in one room and right. Peter Green had left and Mick Fleetwood was like, who are they? And they listened to it. And then they invite one of them, but not the other of them. And they said, if you're taking me, you got to take the other one. They wanted Lindsay. Lindsay. And, and, and he so you got to take my girlfriend. I'll join if you take my girlfriend right. too. And then they join and then they break up and like half the song. That's what's so great too is half the songs they're singing are about each other. And they're like staring at each other. Like you're such a fucking, a-. I mean, they're not saying that, but effectively that's what they're saying. And it's just like, you can feel the tension right there. It's almost like a play. Exactly. And, yeah. she, and she said that she's like, you, you don't know what it's like to stand on stage every night with your ex hearing him sing, go your own way, which yeah. is pretty much telling me fuck off, fuck yeah, off, go kick you know? rocks. Yeah. And everybody's going crazy because they love this song, but it's pretty and much. Wasn't it because she was with Mick? Wasn't that the, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it's like, all, I know you're cheating on me with him. Exactly. <laughs> We're all on stage together. Exactly. Bro. Yeah. And, and that's what Tusk is about too, that he wrote like the, the, the kind of um the, the, the lyrics are just kind of like very, uh, yeah. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, um, almost voyeuristic. Like, yeah, he's, yeah. you know, uh, honing in on their relationship. It's so twisted. But, yeah. But yeah, her, her following is super, super loyal. Um, next I wanted to talk about, uh, and, and this is a, a unique category, subcategory, but the female bands, right? The bands who are comprised of only females. And I got to talk about the first one I'm going to talk about is one that just got inducted into the Hall of Fame, which, I'm ecstatic about a lot of people are super pissed off again for the same reasons. How did they get in before so and so? But the Go Go's huge, huge, huge influence on so many, mostly females. But I mean, that was the, 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 the first for a lot of people, you know, maybe my age, your age, that was the first all female band that they saw, that they witnessed, that they said, wow. You know, women can do this too. You know, they're playing, you know, Jane Wheedland's playing the guitar and, and Gina Shock is playing the drums and it's actually them playing. Which one was Belinda Carlisle in? Go-Go's. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, again, starting from more punk roots. Germs, right? Yeah. Yeah. She yeah. was in the germs temporarily. Um, but you know, you know, and, and they, they morphed from kind of that harder edge kind of LA punk scene to. Wheedland was another one like in the, in my, you know, Pre prepubescent Rolodex, you know, um, yeah, yeah. She's yeah. yeah. I, Sorry, I, I keep going there. No. But this is this is this this is that time period for me. So no, that's, that's that's my point of reference no, for all absolutely. of these people. Yeah, super important band. Whether people think that their songs were bubblegum or throwaways, I don't care. I mean, they're great songs. Those albums were so well produced. And who's she just, married to? Weedland's married to somebody now of of, of some import. She's. She's like a film director or a... Yeah. Oh, shoot. It just escaped my mind. You keep going. I'll I'll figure it out. Okay. Okay. Yeah. She's... And, and, you know, Belinda is a solo artist. Jane Wheatland is a solo artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Charlotte Caffey is a songwriter, a guitarist, producer. I mean, I can't say enough about them. So I'm super excited that they got into the hall. I'm glad you picked that because I'm I'm all the way down on that. Yeah. uh, You know... 
I got to talk about the Bengals too, who I love as well. They're again like Pat ne- Pat Benatar and, and Joan Jett. The Bengals and the Go Go's are always exactly. They exist in the same space of my brain. You know, same time period again, and sort of similar scenes. Not exactly, but um, I always thought of the Bengals as kind of the female monkeys. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way monkeys because are, are I love rad. the monkeys, but just those pop, the pop sensibility, the fact that all of them sang like the monkeys did. And, you know, and they'd probably be ecstatic with that comparison because I know they're probably monkeys fans. So let me correct myself. I was confusing Jane Weedlin with Susanna Hoffs. Susanna Hoffs was the person that I've got stuck in my mind and she's the one that's married to somebody. So okay. uh, Jay Roach, the director. Right. Okay. okay. So, okay. all right, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no problem. Um, I already talked about the Runaways, but again, yeah, another important all-female band. And then I want to talk about one that not many people talk about in the uh, more of a late '60s, early '70s band. There was a band called Fanny, 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 F-A-N-N-Y. I love when you do this. You teach me something I don't know about. That was the first all-female band that I ever knew of. Okay, I mean, when I was a kid, very, very young, they had a hit towards the end of their tenure that was kind of a uh, popular on pop radio where I grew up in Providence in Rhode Island. Um, but uh, they that was like their fifth or sixth album. They already had a catalog to their name. They had already toured with a lot of big bands. Um, a couple of their albums were produced by Todd Rundgren. So they were critically acclaimed, but never really transferred to sales. But Fanny was a huge, huge band on the sort of on the cusp of glam rock, kind of of hard rock. They kind of crossed a lot of uh, barriers, but... To me, that was the first band I ever saw that played all their instruments. And I remember thinking, wow, this is awesome. And the hit that they had, it was a song called, it was a cover of an old 60s song called I've Had It. I mean, total glam rock. It was on the radio all the time. Mm -hmm. My sister bought the 45 and we played it all the time. So I had to talk about them because they're super, super important. So I'll have to check them out. um, Moving on to kind of the same era as where we just were with Pat Benatar and Stevie Nicks. Um, and I'm reluctant to say this because I may have shared with you already. She was not very nice to me when I met her when I was a teenager and I was infatuated with her. But I got to talk about Chrissy Hine from The Pretenders okay. because super, super relevant band in my upbringing. I mean, those first three Pretenders albums were on heavy rotation for me for many, many, many years. Um, she, she, you know, she is the the icon or the figurehead for so many of these female artists who kind of, you know, are, are, are so bold and brash and in your face. Yeah. One of the ones that I'll definitely talk about that, that I always think of when I see Chrissy Hind or when I hear about her, when I hear her attitude coming out in the songs is Shirley Manson from garbage yeah. who I absolutely love as well. But Chrissy Hind, I mean, just, it's almost like, and, and, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but it's almost like you sometimes forgot that she was a woman mm-hmm. fronting this really tough right. rock and roll band. Right. But then she would throw something in like, um, you know, a cover of the Persuasions, Thin Line Between Love and Hate, which she did it in a female perspective. And it just changed the whole, changed the whole dynamic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a very, um, you know, feminine touch that she put on it. So. She's somebody who I love, like I said, even though she wasn't very nice to me when I was a kid. What happened? What happened? Okay. So let's let's get down to it. I want to hear what I want to hear what she did to you. What did you do to him? She was just very um okay. Well, let me just back up. My best friend in high school and I, John, 
we went to um, she, the Pretenders were playing at the Highlight, Tampa Highlight down in South oh, Tampa. God. Oh my God! Right? Yeah, and they were. This was in 1984, and the opening act was the Alarm, who we loved as well. So um, we, he and I, were on a double session at high school. So we would go to school from seven to noon, and then we were done for the rest of the day. So that day after school, we jetted to the Highlight. We just hung out there all day because we were like. You know, we we got to meet the alarm and we love this band. That's one of our favorite bands. But I was just like, I, I got to meet Chrissy Hine. I mean, that's just she and um, well, one I'll talk about later were just my ultimate favorite female artists at that time. So anyway, make a long story short. So she gets there. She gets to the back of the, of the venue and it's uh, me, me and there was Two women, a little bit older than me, still teenagers though, and they were with one older guy. I don't know if it was their dad or who it was. Anyway, so there was four of us out there, and this huge white limo pulls up and out walks Chrissy Hine. And she already kind of had a look on her face, kind of a scowl. So I was kind of apprehensive, but still I was That's your only chance. You gotta totally yeah, starstruck. Yeah, you, gotta lean into like, it. you know, I felt like Chris Farley, like, I love yeah, you. So You're cool. awesome. That was you know? so awesome. <laughs> So she gets out and she starts talking to the women and it was kind of windy that day. It was in March. I remember it was kind of windy and cool that day. And she was being super nice to the women. And she's like, one of them had a sleeveless shirt and she goes, Oh, are you cold? Let me get you a shirt. And she orders one of the stagehands to go in and get one of the pretenders sweatshirts that they were going to sell at the merch table to give to this woman. Cause she's cold. I was like, that's really nice. Okay. She's mm. feeling really, you know, nice and generous. So. So I, I'm like fumbling and I'm like, what am I going to say to her? So I got out my, remember that, I don't, well, you may not remember, but the disc cameras mm -hmm. that were popular mm -hmm. in the 80s, I got out my disc camera out of my back pocket and it had like a little shutter slide, like a shutter switch. And I was like, man, I, I'd love to get a picture with Chrissy Hine. So I took the camera out and I held it up to my eye so I could see if the shutter switch was open. So I start sliding it to open it and she goes, hey, you, what are you doing? And she points me out. And it was one of those things where... I just wanted the ground to open oh, up. Oh, yeah, so I just could, swallow you whole. And I did one of these, like, I looked behind me. And I was like, God, I hope she's not talking to me. Yeah. And she goes, yeah, I'm talking to you. What are you doing? And I was just like, I just wanted to get my camera out because I was going to ask you for a picture, you know. She's like, you need to ask a woman for permission. A woman is not a piece of meat. You can't just randomly take photos. And I was just like, oh, my God. I felt like such an asshole. I was just like, I promised was, I was not trying to yeah. do that. <laughs> and I was just shattered. Oh, okay. Shattered. I, I mean, feel, yeah. she was, I have to say, lucky knock on wood. She was the only person who I've had the privilege of meeting who is less than if she would only have known that you were so not that person you know, you know that's like you're, you got the wrong guy here this i was is not mortified yeah oh, mortified but that's that's the, the irony of life that's those little things that are what make it interesting you know but but i will say you know it did have a sort of a happy ending i think she sort of realized maybe she didn't realize how young i was yeah because again i had like a whole beard yeah. mustache at 15 so yeah she probably thought i was like this i don't know this 40 year old perv or something I started to walk away totally with my tail between my legs. And I, I mean, I just, I, I literally wanted to go behind the building and start crying. Yeah. And she said, Hey, and she, her voice totally changed. She said, Hey, Hey. And I kind of turned around and she was waving me over and she said, do you still want to get that picture with me? So I think she realized that she kind of Went crushed to, yeah, me like yeah, a cockroach. Yeah. So did I, you get the picture? I did. I said, if you don't do you still it, have it. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Will you send it to me? Cause of that's course. going up on the page. Of course. That's of course. Gotta, 
I said, yeah, okay. if, if you don't mind, you know, she said, yeah, come on, come on. And she got in with me, took the picture. Well, so then, I mean. She made up, but. But still, I felt like the biggest. Well, sure. I mean, plus everybody, I'm sure all the girls are just looking at you. Like, oh, yeah. Well, about Harvey Weinstein. What's <laughs> funny was I ran into those girls again a couple months later. And this is the weirdest story. And this just popped in my head. It was probably a couple, two, three months later. I was at the police concert up at the, uh, the Tangerine Bowl up in Orlando. Yeah. And the animals were the opening act. Who Andy Summers had been in the animals right, in right, the right. late 60s. The animals had just gotten back together. And I was huge, huge animals fan. So I was ecstatic. I was like, oh my God, I never thought I'd get to see this band. And me and my sister were right up front in the stadium. And the animals came on and they just start, you know, Eric Bird and it's just pouring it on and just doing, you know, all the great songs. And people start pelting them with, with uh paper cups, like Coca-Cola cups, like, get off the stage, old man, and all this stuff. And I'm just like, I was so embarrassed and I started yelling at people. You know, I take it back, vice versa, other way around. The girls recognized me from that show. Okay. Because they said, we know you. You're the guy that was yelling at everybody at the animal show. And I was like, okay, I don't know if I should be proud about yeah. that, but but yeah. I'll stand by yeah, it. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll own it. Because I was telling people, you people are fucking stupid. This is these are legends up yeah, here, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so I had another ride. Well, you were you were in the ride on both occasions. You know, thank you. I mean, there thank you, go. you. I called it. So she made up for it. Right. So um, another band that, you know, I, I was never that uh, closely invested to, but I, I got to talk about these two women, these two sisters, Anne and Nancy Wilson, talk about heart. I mean, hugely influential band, um, you know, and Ann Wilson got a lot of crap because of her weight and the MTV videos in the eighties, you know, they did all this stuff to cover up her weight and it was so lame, you know, it's just, that just showed you how Her shallow. Voice was and, insane. Though. Oh my god, it's just an insane voice. Yeah, that's that's how image conscious that era was. Sure. You know, and you know they usually wouldn't show her from the neck down. Well, watch and, a Wilson Phillips video and see how much you yeah. see what's her face on there. Exactly. So it was the blonde and the redhead up front. And the other one's always like twenty yards at the back. <laughs> and there's a great quote from the late Chris Cornell, who I yeah. love, who we just you know unfortunately the anniversary of his, yeah. yeah. He said, you know, my two favorite vocalists are Rita Franklin. And uh, Ann Wilson. And nobody ever talks about Aretha's weight. Yeah. Which is true. You yeah. know, it's just like, oh, that's just who she is. But yeah. and, anyway, so Heart, I thought, another super influential band. You know, I liked them. I, I've seen them in concert a few times. Ann Wilson's voice is a force of freaking nature. I was but, watching recently. I think they did. A, and this has been a while ago now, but it was like at a Led Zeppelin tribute. I oh. think they did like, was it Stairway to Heaven or? Yes. Just, was at the Kennedy Center Honors. Yeah, just crushed it. I mean, like better Robert, than Led Zeppelin. Robert later. Plant yeah. teared yeah. up. Yeah. I mean, it was so emotional yeah. to watch it. Yeah. yeah, she's I I got to interview her once. Oh, did you? She was amazing. Oh my gosh. She was so nice and so so smart and so she just had such a good um Don't say she had a great personality. <laughs> no. <laughs> she just had a, such a such a good outlook on all the shit that she went through. Because maybe not to the extent of the runaways, but you know about you know, the whole, when uh, Heart started, the whole uh, campaign was, you know, ooh, they're lusty, um, incestuous lesbian sisters. I'm like, what is, it, what is it? What is that even? Just fueling this kind of male weird, yeah, fantasy. fantasy. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm going to go buy their record now because I'm envisioning that. And that was so. Marketing in, in, in the music business. I mean, not that it's evolved too, too far, but literally like there's like two emotions that 
pretty much every executive played off. You know, know. and and I got to say, unfortunately, for the most part, it works. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people. The masses are asses. I mean, look at politics. You know, but but to hear them say that, like, you know, we work so hard. We put together this album that we were so proud of. And then our record company puts out this ad like, oh, look at these incestuous, you know, lesbian lovers. I'm like, what? Anyway. Yeah. She she just had a a very, um, a very uh, kind of forgiving outlook on all the shit that she's been through. And she was very grounded. So I, I, I love that interview. I thought she was fantastic. So um, moving on more recently, and I think you might give me the thumbs up because I read something you, you posted recently about this person and I was so happy. Um, St. Vincent. Oh my God. Adore her. I got to shut up about her though. Cause my wife's starting to think I have a thing for her. And, and I mean, she's an attractive female, but she just, when I, especially, you know, I've, I've always dug her. Number one, you don't find a lot of female singers anymore who play guitar, like, right. like in our, like legit have guitar top guitar chops. Yeah. She's a shredder. I yeah. mean, and really good. Like some of the stuff she did with David Byrne and I've watched, I mean, she's got some really interesting stuff she does on a guitar. Um, and the last album I liked this album. And this is a, this is a, we were talking about Keith Ulrey earlier. He, he's, he doesn't buy her. He thinks it's, you know, kind of, uh, aping certain things but i just this this new album have you listened to the new one Nonstop. oh my god <laughs> right it is bowie teddy pendergrass or i'm sorry luther, luther vandross era bowie there's prince going on there there's stevie wonder going on there there's harry nilson going on there it's just like such a lush thick layered beautiful gorgeous album i mean this is her okay computer or her dark side of the moon or her whatever you want to call it it's just epic you, you know how how predictable it is when you hear an artist or, or a band say um you know well this new album is our best album every time they say that no this is she's one of the people who with every album gets better i go okay this is her best album yeah. you know mass seduction i was just like this is just the pinnacle and then she did like kind of the stripped down version of that album and i was like how can she top that by doing a recreated version of it? How can she do that? But she did. This album is like, oh my gosh. But she's like Bowie in that it's every album is a new character. Totally. It's a new it's it's not it's not just a audio thing, it's a visual thing, it's a it's a story, it's a concept album. It's just it's all of it. It's you know, oh, she's the thin white duke. Okay, now she's, you yeah. know you know, the lad insane. Now she's whatever. I mean, you, you know, she's got this character that she inhabits. It's funny for whatever reason. And you'll know who this is. I can't think of her name, but it was Clint Eastwood's wife or girlfriend. For Sandra a while. Locke. She looks like Sandra Locke. Yes. And new photos of the she blonde does. hair and the kind of <laughs> bleeding mascara and all this other stuff. She does. But that melting. Did you watch her SNL performances? Yes. Oh yes, my yes. God. I was just like, this is next level. So I think one thing that she's doing, and you made a good point. I think one thing that she's doing, and this is something that David Bowie had said early on, he said, you know, if you create these characters, you can kind of walk away from them. It's not like they're fully formed. They can exist on their own without you having to hang around. Yeah. So it's not like it's just you totally, you know, bare naked up there. You're kind of putting on these costumes, but you're doing it from the perspective of it's cabaret. It's, totally. uh, you know, what's the Japanese, the uh, kabuki. kabuki. Yeah, it's, 
wrestling. It's, you know, it's WWF Kabuki, you know, it's it just, it's brilliant. I love it. I love it. I love it. And, and the melting of the sun and, yeah. uh, uh, what was the other one? There's one on there that's so Harry Nilsson. It's a very acoustic writing. It, it, it almost sounds like uh, The Graduate or whatever, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, a, I just dig it big time. Well, the thing is with her, if her next album is a full-on disco album, I'm not even going to, you know, no. raise my eyebrow because I'm going to say, well. I'm, I'm along for the ride, you, you know? know. I mean, and she's got it in her. So Does, it, does her girlfriend make an appearance or one of her ex-girlfriends make an appearance on this list? No. Carrie Brownstein? No. Because that's going to be one of mine. One, one that's of, fine. Yeah, yeah. No, I love Slater yeah. Kinney. No, I'm, I'm a huge Slater Kinney fan. I didn't put them on this list, but they certainly, they've done a hell of a lot in the time that they've sure. been in, in existence. And um, yeah, I'm a huge fan of theirs. Um, Kate Pearson, Cindy Wilson, B-52s, just can't say enough about them just from a fashion perspective from a they kind just of they, they just owned it totally. both, both feet all the way in lean into it you know they're like that that girl that's kind of weird at the party but it's just so fully herself that you can't help but just be you know drawn overjoyed to. <laughs> and drawn to it's like i don't know where you come from i don't know what time you come from I don't know who your influences are. I don't know what you're trying to get across, but you're you're having so much fun that I'm having fun watching you do it. And they're each weird in their own kind of oh, respective all ways. All of them, all of them. And then to have Fred Schneider to 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 be the most feminine with, one of the three of them. I mean, you know? wow, yeah. those are three front people. Oh my lord, yeah. So those are two women that I adore. I love that band to death. Um, I talked about her earlier, but Shirley Manson. I saw, I wasn't a huge garbage fan throughout, but I started getting into them. And then I saw them open for somebody who's on my all-time favorites list. And I had to say, man, I was just like, she is, Shirley Manson is just, she is just bringing it like very few male or female front people have done that I've seen. Right. I mean, she is all of the, you know, she's athletic. She's kind of coy. She's feminine, but she's super tough. I mean, you know, she's just got all these elements of a great rock front person. And I just, I love that band. I love her, her, the way she presents herself. So she's somebody who I'm crazy about too. Um, I can't talk, not talk about, and these are people who, I like, but I'm not totally invested in, but they had, they opened so many doors for so many people. Um, going back to the sixties, Grace Slick and Janis Joplin. Mm -hmm. I mean, Janis Joplin was. She's pretty much the prototype, but it, I'm not a huge Janis Joplin fan, but I mean, she's undeniable. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, Steven Tyler has said that she was kind of who he, he was aping, yeah. kind of mimicked. You know, a lot of people said, Oh, he's just copying Mick Jagger, which he had to a great extent. But, you know, he's, I think he said that Janis Joplin is his spirit animal or something like sure. that, which I can see. Grace Lake, you know, I thought fronting uh, Jefferson, Jefferson Airplane in that scene, which was mostly kind of an all guys scene with the dead and, and the airplane. And I mean, she, pretty impressive lyricist, great vocalist, um, great stage presence. So I had to talk about her. Um, Okay, here's one that I maybe unconventional, but I can't not talk about her. Is Grace Jones? I just made a Grace Jones joke this morning. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
I well, a view to a kill was like I took that was one of my first birthday parties at the movies. Oh, and, cool! No, yeah, she was she was a confusing character. Like, she, yeah, you just didn't know what you're looking at. I mean, beautiful, scary, masculine, feminine, alien, just all of the above. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell you a single thing about her music, but um, so she started out in more of like kind of a you know more in she was a model first and foremost, and you know she kind of trans you know, kind of moved into that, into that medium of becoming a recording artist. Cause she looks so great, pretty decent voice, you know, but early on, Where's she um, from? she's from Jamaica. Is she okay? Pretty early on. I mean, her thing was, uh, she was a, just a total disco artist. You know, her first three albums, they're good. I don't love them. They, they sound a little dated right now, but she was kind of one of the, um, she was kind of one of the mainstays at Studio 54 in New York City. For sure, yeah. I mean, you know, it wasn't uncommon for at a Friday night, 2 a.m., Grace Jones to take the stage and perform. Um, she was actually the reason, another great disco song, the reason why Sheik's La Freak, uh -huh. Freak Out, um, the, the way that that song got written, she had invited them to go visit her, go backstage at Studio 54. And Sheik wasn't really happening yet at the time. And they were denied entrance. They were not let in. Oh, wow. Na Rogers and Bernard Edwards were not let in. They're like, we don't know who you are. And they said, Grace invited us. No, no, no. So on their walk home, they started singing Fuck Off. Uh-huh. They made a tune to the words yeah. fuck off. Yeah. That became freak out. Oh, yeah. And it became, yeah. you know, number one for six solid weeks. So anyway, um, so what she did was she started so, sort of in the early eighties, she sort of morphed into more of a new wave kind of reggae, uh, uh, kind of sound. And she worked with, uh, Sly and Robbie, great, uh, uh, reggae, uh, studio musicians and producers. And uh, she did stuff like, you know, she did a cover of uh, Joy Division's She's Lost Control. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to find that. Oh, it's outstanding. She did some Roxy Music covers. Wow. She did, yeah. But on uh, that was on Warm Leatherette. She did a cover of the title track is, you know, probably the quintessential, quintessential post-punk song, Warm Leatherette, written by Daniel Miller, who started Mute Records. Okay. That Depeche Mode yeah. eventually became... Warm Leatherette was the first record ever released, released on Mute Records on that label. And it was very minimalistic, very, it almost sounds like a robot singing it. And it's a song about. I love you know, those, like Brian Eno, David Byrne. Yes. Like, just super. We're, we're going to challenge you to listen to this album all the way through. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Super minimalist. But that song is, you know, odd subject matter, but it's about, you know, having sex after you've been in a car crash. Anyway, she, she covered it and she turned it into more of like kind it's of one a, of my favorite songs on that topic. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she turned it into more of like a funk reggae. Yeah. Totally turned it on right. its ear. But then in, um, in 81, um, she did, uh, an album called nightclubbing where she covered Iggy's nightclubbing yeah, yeah. and she had a song called pull up to the bumper, which, is a total funk staple. I mean, it's a funk reggae, just monster, and it still sounds totally relevant and totally uh, up to date today. But I mean, she's you know huge on the gay club scene. Yeah, that's where she started. That's the the majority of her audience. But she's you said it better than I could. I mean, was she male? Was she female? Was she going to kick your ass? Was she going to you know who knows? You know, just what I just remember her and Christopher Walken. Like I was like, I don't know who's 
the top and who's the bottom. Like, exactly. I, don't know what's, I don't know what's happening here. Like that's, this could go either way. Yeah. Exactly. But what, what a great force, you know? Yeah. Um, so, um, you're not done, are you? No, no, no. Oh, because there's I, a name that if you don't mention it, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh-oh, pull your okay. card. Pressure's on. Okay. Yeah. Um, so talking about the people who earlier going back and the people who I think took their kind of chutzpah or their kind of um the the ability to kind of stand out and do what they wanted to do from a Patty Smith, you know, I would talk about somebody who I love, rest in rest in peace, Wendy O. Williams from the Plasmatics. Mm-hmm. I mean, just super in your face, and she didn't take shit from anybody. Um, a band called The Slits from the original punk scene, uh-huh. who, again, morphed into more of a reggae sound later, but just very audacious uh, female band. Um, all the Riot Girl bands, I think, owe a lot to Patti Smith. Um, Exene Cervenka from X. Sure. Another That's band one of I your love. favorites. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, somebody like Lydia Lunch, kind of more of a poet. Who kind of moved into spoken word and music? I mean, without Patti Smith, she probably would not have, you know, taken, uh, gone as far as she did. Um, but one of the ones that I think influenced all the Riot Girls, and I never hear this mentioned this, uh, in this context is, um, and I've talked about her on this show before, but I can't not talk about her today is, uh, Polystyrene from X-Ray Specs. Oh, okay. Um, she, oh my gosh. I mean, when I go back and, you know, at the time, maybe it wasn't as evident to me, but when I go back and think of the true ethos of punk rock and what it was, Polystyrene and X-Ray Specs and their first album, um, Germ-Free Adolescence, is probably the most um, indicative album of that scene. I mean, here she was, she was 21 years old. She was overweight. She had braces. She was mixed race. She was not your mm-hmm. typical front woman of a band. But, you know, in in the punk rock era, her attitude was, who gives a shit? Right. Who cares what I look like? You know, um, she was influenced by the Sex Pistols. She saw the Pistols and then said, I can do that too. When she was about 17 years old, which is just so phenomenal. I'm listening to you. I'm just making a list of people you haven't mentioned yet. Okay. Okay. No, no. Cause I want to hear who those are too. Um, and you know, I think that her, the way she screamed and what she sang about and kind of, uh, you know, female oppression and consumerism and politics, all that stuff to me was the catalyst for the riot girl movement. So I can't not talk about her. So, okay. So I'm going to move on to the list of. My ultimate, ultimate favorite. Okay. 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 Female. I'm artists. confident that at least one of the ones that I've come. Okay. There's, I'm, I'm surprised we're this deep and we haven't mentioned her yet, but because we're getting to your favorites, that's this probably is, the reason why. So the first one I'm going to talk about is this, this was a gateway band for me. I mean, there's certain bands, there's, you know, there's certain people I've talked about them before, but there's Lou Reed, there's Devo, there's bands that kind of, came when I discovered them, it was kind of a crossroads. I went from, you know, maybe this side over to that side. And I can not mention Blondie. There you go. Debbie Harry. That's okay. That's the one I've been waiting for along with Stevie Nicks. I mean, Debbie Harry and Blondie was my gateway. Yeah. That's when I went from kind of more, you know, at the time, I want to say I was still into like a lot of radio stuff, which, you know, radio was great at that time. 
But when I heard Blondie, and more importantly, when I saw Debbie Harry for the first time, I mean, it was a ton of bricks. It just just hit me. I was just like, these songs are great. She looks great. The way she carries herself, and this is before, you know, MTV, and we didn't have the luxury of watching videos 24 hours a day. But when I would see Debbie Harry on TV, which wasn't often, I was just mesmerized because I was like, how could somebody <laughs> so beautiful sing like that? That type of music. And sing about these subject matters. And, you know, one way or another was probably the, you know, again, another uh, another pivotal time in my life where that was not like anything I had heard before. I mean, it was, you know, by that time, a lot of the purists had written them off and said, they're a disco band, they're a pop band. You know, they started out at CBGB, but now they're, you know, popular. Oh, God forbid. But that to me, to like a 12-year-old kid, 11-year-old kid, that was, that was substantial. I mean, that was what led me down that path of going, okay, I'm going to start looking at my sister's cream magazines and learn about Devo and learn about, you know, uh, the B-52s and whoever, you know, at that time period. But that was what kind of made me see things a little differently. Um, I love Blondie to death. I still do. Well, they're amazing musicians. I b- 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 side note, the Melvins, especially Buzz Osborne, is a huge Blondie fan. They've had the drum. What's the drummer's name? Clem Burke. Yeah, he, he's played on some of their stuff. Yeah, uh, and so they they knew their inch. There's a weird analogy, but like the Dead Kennedys, in some way, like punk punk music is not widely known for being really good at their instruments. Right. And this was one of the exceptions, at least with some of them in this band, like really good, tight band. But then also punk generally was for outcasts, was for people who weren't traditionally good looking or not accepted by society. Exactly. You have this blonde model, you know, up front, you know, doing it. And it was like, it was weird because it was, it was punk. It was punk for punk. It was exactly. like if punk is going to be a a, a a a response to tradition, they were almost a response to the tradition of punk. So exactly. they almost took it a step further. That's you know? exactly right. Yeah. And, and it always killed me when people say, oh, they're not punk enough or they're not this enough. Well, the beauty of punk rock was you got to do whatever, do whatever the hell you, want. you wanted. Oh, yeah. I that mean, is the bottom line. I love the Minutemen. And so this is a conversation when they always talk about hardcore bands. And, you know, the Minutemen find their way in that conversation is like, if you didn't watch any of these people and you listen to that music and listen to this music, you wouldn't put in a million years that in the same. Exactly. So it's like when I used to hear kids say, oh, the Clash isn't punk anymore. Why? Because they put out Sandinista. Yeah. Okay. Do you know how punk rock yeah. that is to do yeah, yeah. a triple album that has like reggae and Calypso? And, yeah. You know, I mean, come on, give yeah. me a break. So Blondie, one thing I think Debbie Harry did too and she'd be the first one to admit this, she brought back and modernized kind of what I'm going to talk about next is the girl group, just the vibe of the girl groups. You know, people like the Ronettes, who I am wearing on my shirt right now because Ronnie Spector is somebody I love. Uh, the Shangri-Las, especially that kind of New York attitude. That's what Debbie Harry embodied with Blondie. You know, she looked great. She she was beautiful. She was, you know, a fashion plate, but she had that edge to her that mm-hmm. she got from, you know, uh, those girl groups. Another girl group, maybe not in the same realm that we're talking about right now, but I mean, the Supremes, mm-hmm. amazing. I mean, yeah. 
it just to, to tell me that three women from, uh, from Detroit were the, the, the highest, were, were the most chart competition for the Beatles in the sixties. Mm-hmm. Come on. That's, that's saying something right there. Cause right. nobody else was even coming. Well, close. If, if certain people are the godfathers of music, they were the, you know, the, 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 the godmothers as it were. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, they just brought that glamor without being kind of cheesy about it. You know, they were, yeah, just Diana Ross. I mean, for whatever, you know, however people think about her, but I mean, vocally and just stylistically, just unbeatable. Um, okay. So I have a couple more and then I'll be done. And then I got to hear who you got to, you had to mention. Okay. So, um, she's at the top of this list of my favorites is Kate Bush. Oh, yeah. Now, see, I'm, I, that's a world I've not explored, but I know enough to know how, what space she occupies and how influential. It's an acquired taste. Yeah. I mean, I'll be is the she first Canadian? One. What's her? No, she's British. British. She's okay. British. Um, for many years, I was not a fan. Yeah. I'll be honest. Yeah. And then one day it just kind of made sense. Clicks. Yeah. I literally woke up one day and it clicked. Yeah. And I got it. And, you know, she's been compared to, again, a lot of male counterparts, but people say, oh, she's the male, this, she's the female, this, she's the female, that. Um, I think the artist that she's most closely affiliated with, if you're going to talk counterparts, and it's funny because she's worked with him several occasions, I think she's kind of equivalent to a Peter Gabriel. Sure. Who kind of changes and kind of goes into this new wavy, proggy. Yeah. Into these freaky kind of. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So to me, you know, when people say, oh, she's just, you know, the female David Bowie, I think of her more kind of along the lines of Peter Gabriel um, and, you know, somebody who I got to give credit to because he's the one who kind of discovered her was David Gilmore from Pink Floyd. So, really? Yes. I did not know that. He heard her demos. She had been writing songs and playing the piano since she was about nine. Yeah. And I mean, pretty, pretty complicated, heavy stuff. And David Gilmore heard her when she was about 15. Yeah. And he said, you know, it's too soon yet, but in a couple of years, you know, you're going to be ready to. And he was instrumental in getting her signed to Harvest Records, who Pink Floyd was associated with over in the UK. And he's pretty much the one who I brought her that. to the forefront. Cool. So I'm eternally grateful to David Gilmore, who I love anyway. Yeah. I mean, he's one of my favorite guitarists, but. That that's just another another feather in his cap. Um, moving on to more of an R and B side, um, somebody else that could almost be. I mean, I want to hear it, but that really could probably be a it's a show unto itself. It could be. Yeah, you're right. It could be. Um, I got to talk about Shaka Khan. Oh yeah, somebody who I've <laughs> I've loved since I was probably about seven. Um, I mean, I bought the 45 for Rufus's "Tell Me Something Good," and I played it to death. And it's funny because. When I was a kid and I didn't have enough money to um, to buy albums, I would only buy singles. There's a Rufus record. It's called, a lot of people refer to it as the pink record. It's pink on the cover and it just has a big pair of lips on the front. But on the back of it is a picture of Shaka Khan where she's in full on almost Native American gear. She has like this kind of suede halter and she's got feathers hanging from her hair. And I would go to the record store and just literally stare at that photo for just mm-hmm. for. Just, I was just like, again, you know, like we were talking about with Grace Jones, I would say like, what is this person? I mean, mm-hmm. she's this beautiful woman, but is she Indian? Is she black? Is she, what is she? And I mean, her voice is to me still 
one of the best all-time voices of any genre. She can tackle any genre, but she's somebody who's intrigued me. Probably the first female artist who caught my eye and my ear when I was very, very young. I mean, like I said, we're going back to when I was about seven years old and she's another one I got to interview. And I was just, again, I was just trying to keep it, keep it, yeah. keep it together. Keep it cool. Keep it cool. I'm like, you just do not understand. And she said at the end, she goes, you're a really good interviewer. And I just, that made your year. It's just, yeah, I like, couldn't yeah, even. Yeah. So it made up for Chrissy Hines bullshit. It did, <laughs> in a major way. Um, probably my favorite vocalist of all time female is Mavis Staples. Okay. And she is somebody who've, again, who've, I've loved for many years. I discovered her um, during the band's The Last Waltz, the yeah. film. Um, my older sister, who's 10 years older than me, was obsessed with the band at the time. So when that movie came out, um, I come from a very obsessive family. We do things like to the extreme. It's sure. all or nothing. And when that movie came out, um, my sister shot at the movie six times. And she took me each time. Wow. And I was just like, yeah, I'm going for the ride. And I didn't know who these people were. You know, I didn't know who the band was. Sure. I didn't know who the staple singers were. But by the were. end of it, you wanted to. Yeah, exactly. That's how I got familiarized with all these people. And that's how I discovered Bob did Dylan. You, did you ever watch the Half Gun Will Travel show that they did? That... I saw it at the Crowbar. Yeah, yeah. I did it. Yeah. yeah. You were there? I was there. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I was getting, I'll, I'll be honest, I was getting a little pissed because everywhere I was, people were just like carrying on and uh -huh. talking and acting like it was a typical, so, you know, what'd you do last night? You know, having all yeah. these conversations. I'm like, shut the fuck up. I want to hear these guys. Well, I it, it's in the wind that there's a chance of it happening oh, again. Oh, good. Yeah, they killed it. I mean, I just were... saw them. I just saw them this weekend at the New World, and and I, I, I it was I went with six myself and five other people, and I'm the only one who, who knew Have Gun. Yeah, and walked out with six fans. Like they just oh, were crushing them. They're new, amazing. New, new music they're writing is just oh, yeah, that. yeah. Those guys are incredible. Yeah, and um. The, the part when they recreated it, uh, the Joni Mitchell part, Shay uh, did. I don't know if you know Shay. She's no. a local singer-songwriter. She did Joni Mitchell's part, and she did a fantastic job. But um, So, yeah, so I saw that movie six times, and that's when I walked away with the knowledge of, most importantly, the band, but of Bob Dylan, of the staple singers, of Amy Lou Harris, who's on my list, who I just adore everything about her. Um, Amy Lou is just oh, – I, I can't think of that – the right word has not been created to describe Emmylou Harris in the English vocabulary. But, um, but you know, but one of the people that I walked away with the knowledge of was the staple singers. Mm -hmm. And I thought, who is that woman with that voice? You know, Mavis. From then on, I've been a huge fan. And I hate to keep name dropping, but I interviewed. That's what the whole point of this thing well, is. Well, but yeah. I interviewed her as well. And she paid me the highest compliment. She said, you really know my career. Audio interview. It was a written? phone interview. So, but, but where does, how, how do you find it? Is it only in the written form or is it something you can listen to? Um, I have a recording of it, but it, it was run in creative loafing many, you many years ago. You got to give me the links to all your, I will. your, your interviews. I will. So she said, um, and, and, you know, I don't know if you've seen interviews with her or read about her. She's just a very warm, giving, loving person. So she said, you really know about my career. And I said, well, I followed it for, you know, many, many years. And uh, this was prior to her. She was going to be playing at the Mahaffey over in St. Pete. And she said, you know what? She said to me, she said, I want you to come backstage after the show. And I want to give you a big hug and a kiss. And I said, okay, I'm going to take you up on that. Yeah. So when I got my uh, press credentials and all that stuff to review her show, 
with the Mahaffey, I said, you know, I, I called the woman who was in charge of the PR stuff. And I said, you know, I don't want to be that guy. But yeah. when I interviewed her a couple of weeks ago, she did say this to me. And she said, oh, not a problem. Absolutely. Backstage pass. Here you go. So um, so we got to go. Uh, it was before the show, actually. It wasn't after the show. We got to go. And uh, there's maybe 20 people back there who got to go say hi to Mavis. And I was at the very end of the line of the people waiting. And I walked in. <laughs> I was such a dork. But I said, hey, Mavis, I'm Gabe. I just interviewed you. She goes, oh, come here, sugar. She remembered. And she just oh, gave me a perfect. bear hug. Love it. And I just, I thought I was going to melt. That's amazing. I thought I was going to die. That's badass. So <laughs> we talked and she signed some records for me and took a bunch of pictures with me and kissed me. And fast forward to a couple of friends of mine had a front row seat for the show and the, the, it was a couple, a married couple. And the wife said, Gabe, I don't really, I don't like to be that close. It's too close. <laughs> Can I trade with you? And, and Dennis and I, my partner and I had tickets in maybe the 10th row. She goes, do you mind if I trade with you? And I sit with Dennis and you go up front and sit with Rob. And I said, no, T terrible, horrible. Yeah, yeah. I refuse to sit in the front row. <laughs> Under said, protest, I'll do it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so I went up there and Mavis saw me and called me out and dedicated a song oh to Oh my God. I mean, it was just, it just kept getting better and better. Oh so. my God. So Mavis is just, she's the end all be all for me. Um, Aretha Franklin, another undeniable, you know, just yeah. what can you say about her that hasn't been said? I mean, broke down every single barrier for R&B, uh, just not just for women. I mean, just she was a mainstay. She she was a a, a a constant for so long, and you know, obviously now she's gone. But what a catalog of music she left behind. Um, and then somebody who from the same era, from the punk rock era, who I think has just continued. She hasn't worked much lately, but she just continued to uh, morph herself into so many different. Um, characters and so many different looks and feels is uh Susie Sue ah, from okay, Susie the Banshees. Took another one off me. I mean, just coming from where she came um and just create I mean, almost single handedly without even trying, creating kind of like, like the goth. goth. Yeah genre yeah. i mean without even she's i i don't know why uh, this comes to mind as the female nick cave kind of yeah. you know in a weird way i could Not see a similar that. type of music necessarily no. but very much cut from a similar cloth but but just the stuff that she's done and the world music she's experimented with and and kind of the again the cabaret stuff and just kind of the different different roads she's traveled down because again, who's going to tell her otherwise and who's going to say, Susie, you can't do that. You know, the hell with it. Yes, I can. And yes, I have. So. <laughs> well, like you were talking about earlier with uh, St. Vincent, the beauty of changing what you do so often is at a certain point, you can't be pigeonholed into anything because effectively you're being pigeonholed into not being pigeonholed, you know? Exactly. So she's kind of in that. Exactly. But then you run the risk of, oh, I wish she would do another you know, a carbon copy of this album. Well, yeah, you can happen. have a very, your fans can very much like certain albums and really not like other ones. Whereas if you always sound the same, they can kind of just rate you. But you know, what's funny is those fans come back to those albums later and appreciate it. And then that. they realize oh, the mean, brilliance. That's, that's, that's Bowie. That's the whole conversation on Bowie is, or Dylan, you know, you know, uh, completely. I mean, I remember gospel or Neil Young. I mean, these are all people that, the disco album, the gospel album, the blah, 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 you know. Records yeah. that were panned at the time that yeah, they came out. Yeah. You go back and listen to them now. We've yeah, talked about this with Dylan's brilliant. Christian yeah, era. Yeah. It's like, that's some of his best stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, vocally, that's some of his best stuff. Lyrically, that's some of his best stuff. So 
I've learned that when, yeah, when you look back and you see albums that were like panned upon release, there's probably a lot of, of, of quality there that is there for us to discover years later. So, so that's what I got. I mean, I have two others who I kind of wanted to touch on. I think about them kind of, uh, together is, um, from the kind of new wave eras are, uh, Lena Lovich and Nina Hagen. Uh, two women, again, who have worked together on some projects before, but who I thought were hugely creative and very original and kind of set the standard for a lot who followed them. Uh, Lena Lovich was an American, or still is, I should say. She's an American artist who kind of hit it big when she moved to England and kind of got signed to Stiff Records and had a bunch of pop hits over there. Uh, Nina Hagen was a German artist who was kind of the, this brash German punk rock uh, kind of uh, fashion plate. And she had a bunch of new wave hits over here, not hits, but dance hits or club hits in the uh, late seventies, mid eight to the mid eighties. So those are two women that I, I really admire a lot, whose records I listen to a lot. And funny Lena Lovich story. Um, she hasn't made a record in many years. She's been pretty reclusive. But uh, in 2016, when Dennis and I went to England, I went to England for the first time and we did the whole rock and roll tour. I mean, I had to see one of my things was I have to be at the spot where the cover of Ziggy Stardust was photographed. Mm-hmm. And that's an actual spot mm-hmm. that you can stand by. There's one of the uh, blue plaques that are historically all over London that say, this is where the Who recorded live at Leeds or this is where, you know, Van Morrison, you know, did this. Um, but there's one for the cover of Ziggy. And I just felt like that aura, you know, yeah, feeding into me. With- the irony is it's in the middle of like a food court. Oh, I'm sure. It's an outdoor. like It's like Abbey Road or you know, you know, some of these other things. That, yeah. You know, we, we went to Abbey Road. Yeah. We went to. Anyway, so we did the whole rock and roll thing. But we were riding the tube. We were riding the subway. And uh, we were waiting for the train to come. And Dennis looks over at me and he mouths the words very quietly. Lena Lovich. And I thought, what an odd thing to say. Yeah. You know, your safe word? What why you is he saying that? <laughs> yeah. And when I looked behind him, Sitting she right was there. standing there. Oh, wow. And I was not prepared. Yeah. <laughs> I was totally unprepared. I was just like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. You know, what do I say to this woman? She's just getting on the train. She's probably going grocery shopping or something. But it was kind of like a weird starstruck moment for me that maybe many people wouldn't understand. But she's somebody who I think, you know, she did a lot for New Wave, for the female um, kind of role in New Wave music. So she's somebody that I wanted to mention. And that's all that I have. And I probably left some out that you'd probably want to touch on. All right. I'll make this quick. I don't have the depth of knowledge on people, but just certain names. Uh, you know, we've talked about St. Vincent a lot. And I don't yes. think there could be a St. Vincent without a P.J. Harvey. Oh, God, so yes. So Paula Jean Harvey, just very Love singular, her. very kind of in her own world. I don't know what type of music I would call it, but just a very strong, sure voice. Um, you know, sexy, but kind of dark. And yes. again, a Nick Cave kind of very. murder murder ballad type of dark area that she comes from and so shame on me for not including her well i'm glad it gives me some street cred that i thought of some somebody i uh, mentioned her earlier uh you know one of the people i want to end the show talking about the nervous girls and mansfield's band I don't know oh i've about. seen them oh yeah oh fantastic so i, I will shout out to them in a minute but um 
uh, Carrie Brownstein, Slater Kinney, yes. uh, Wild Flag, uh, a bunch of solo stuff. Definitely. I mean, she's kind of become a ubiquitous figure in the kind of garage rock, indie rock scene from the feminine perspective. Yep. And I agree. You know, legit musician. We talked about earlier qualifying someone as a female artist. She's just she's just there and not to mention a brilliant comedian with Fred Arbinson, oh, yeah. and, you know, the Portland thing. But so Carrie Brownstein, definitely this one will be maybe somewhat controversial. I might save her for the end. Okay. Um, I, I don't know why I thought of this. She probably doesn't have the clout, but I, I've always kind of appreciated her since I started hearing her sing in Paul Thomas Anderson movies, but Amy Mann has always had, Oh yeah. you know, I, I just have always appreciated her music. I don't know that I call it rock, but, She's somebody that I really want to like, sure. but I have never really warmed up she's to her. She's your Kate Bush. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. she's she's a great lyricist. She's a great songwriter. I mean, she's worked with people I love. She's done stuff with Glenn Tailbrook from Squeeze. She's on a Rush album, yeah. for God's sake. Yeah. She's just done so much, and she's worked with so many people. And Michael Penn, her husband, yeah. who, I, who I love. Oh, yeah, Keith already loves the uh, Oh, yeah, he's, yeah. you know. Um, but she's not somebody that I've ever totally warmed up to, so... So these aren't, these don't even fit in this, but for some reason, at some point when you were talking, the, the, the two words, Yoko and Nico were both in my head as yeah. the, the coolers on two brilliant bands. And <laughs> they were the two voices that kind of sunk the ship, which is kind of going in the opposite direction of what the show's about. But yeah, it's funny you said the both of them together because those are two women that for a long time when I was younger, I really resented. For different reasons. Yeah. You know, I resented Yoko because the belief is that she broke up the Beatles. It's all her fault, which I don't think is true anyway. And I can, you know, elaborate no, I, on that. Yeah. You know, but, but Nico was somebody who I was just like, how the hell did she get tied up with the Velvet Underground? And I remember hearing, you know, um, her version on the, on the first album, the first Velvet's album, which is one of my favorite albums of all time, her version of I'll Be Your Mirror. And I remember going, God, is this woman tone deaf? Yeah. This is horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I had heard Lou's own version. And I was like, this is the way it should be done. But going back later, I can appreciate that kind of dark kind of. It pulls, it's, it's like if you took, you have a, you have a couch with a pattern and you put a blue pillow on it or you put a yellow. It's a whole different look because it's pulling out different aspects. And I think you can do that with different singers on the same song. Right. You know, so I, I, I'm always going to go Lou for Nico, but, you know. But, but she gives it so much character and she gives sure. it so much of this kind of like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? She just gives it Depth so much of an edge. A, a that, texture, a patina. Yeah, that I could not yeah. appreciate yeah. when I was discovering that album the first time. I, was like, I, lo I always love something that's untuned or something yeah. that's, you know, I, 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 I very much love something that's off. Like, uh, I, I always talk about what a fan I am of John Frusciante, the guitarist for the uh -huh. Chili Peppers. And for a long time, it's been a thing that people could never seem to be able to get a sound right. And what they didn't realize is he 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 wasn't tuning his guitar. You know, it it wasn't down tuned. It was just literally certain strings were not right on purpose, but it just because he liked the sound of it. So he had like his own special tuning, which you know, in a way, is kind of he was doing it unconventionally. Right, which, right. What's wrong with that? Nothing. So the next one I struggle with whether to put on or put on or not put on, and then I'll have my big finale. So uh, Fiona Apple, which, you know, you, she's one of these figures that you can have strong feelings one way or the other, but she's had some pretty brilliant music in my estimation. I had the opportunity to see her live uh -huh. at a uh, Ruth Eckert Hall and it was a brilliant concert. And the last, I mean, her last album, everybody just went apeshit over. And the one yeah. before that I really dug and I've, every one of her albums have been pretty 
pretty great. And again, you know. she's not somebody that, I mean, I appreciate, sure. I, I admire her. She's not somebody I've really warmed up to, but I know people are, you know, completely just taken with her and the work she does. So, so, so this is going to be a funny one to end on, but I, it, this, this is what I'm going to do is Courtney Love. Okay. Um, because, you know, she just, you can't be a alternative music fan, you know, who was born in the seventies or eighties and not have some kind of feeling about her, whether it's, you know, she killed Kurt or mm -hmm. whether she destroyed that band. I mean, she had involvement in, in faith, no more her solo project. I, I thought those first two albums were amazing yeah. albums. I mean, she's kind of become a hot mess yeah. or even more of a hot mess. And, you know, I know she's had issues with Grohl and all this other stuff. And also her act was very much, borrowing from other people but i think her existence in that world is undeniable and so especially in my youth you know i, well, I still malibu is one of my favorites <laughs> what, what are your core feelings about her or for her what is it that you feel um that resonates with you about well her? it's funny because most of the people that we're talking about all their careers kind of ended and you know the 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 the, the, the bell curve of their of their careers were in the downslope in the eighties, pretty much. So you start to think about who are the people in the last two, three decades mm -hmm. that have kind of borrowed that torch. And I mean, you had Shirley Manson, we've talked about yeah. obviously Kate Bush, St. Vincent, but I don't feel like so much of the female artists have gone the pop way, yeah. you know? So to have a rock voice or a punk voice or whatever, you know, Brody dolls, another one, she was, Married to uh, Tim Armstrong from Rancid, Rancid. and Josh Homme from mm -hmm. Queens of the Stone Age. And, you know, I love her music, but these they became rare, you know, in in the last three decades because rock became less of a place for women. Yeah. You know, pop and whatever, whatever we're calling radio music these days kind of is what pulled all of them away. And, yeah, they still exist, but you named like 15 people from the seventies, like yeah. named 15 people from the last 10 years that are female rock. Artists. Right. It's hard yeah. to do it is. for the last 20 years, or even the last 30 years. So, but, but do you think that women have in, in those positions, do you think that women have less freedom to kind of branch out and do what they want to do now? Or? Yeah. I just think there's less, you can't even define music like you used to be able right. to. I mean, music has just become so blended that, you know, it's hard to, we use certain labels, I guess, to, to have radio stations dedicated to things. But I mean, rock can mean a zillion different things now. True. You know, pop can mean a zillion different mm -hmm. things now. You know, so it's I, I, I almost think classifying it. But I just when I'm saying rock, I'm talking about guitar driven sure. kind of angsty, yeah. punky, poppy. And maybe it's just I'm old and I don't know what's out there. But, you know, you know, so she was kind of the start of that, which in my view, you uh, know, for the 90s, the 2000s, okay. and, and my youth. Would you consider Hole to be a Riot Girl band? I don't think Riot Girls would consider them to be a Riot Girl band. I, I don't think they're, I think they're widely disregarded. I think they're widely kind of looked down upon. I mean, mm -hmm. she's done nothing at all to help, right. help her, uh, what's, what do you call it? Her, uh, her credibility, <laughs> her credibility, her legacy, I guess, is her maybe legacy, what I'm looking yeah. at. But I mean, if she would have kept her mouth shut and Kurt didn't kill himself and those two albums were what they put out, I mean, she probably probably would be around today mm -hmm. in, a, in a different way than than she was. But they're good not a bad actress either. I mean, that people were as Larry Flint. She was yeah, amazing. She was great. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of people dislike her. And, you know, now Chris Cornell's wife is starting to occupy that space. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah. 
But anyway. Well, of the Riot Girl bands, I mean, I didn't mention them, but I yes. like a lot of those bands too. But L7. Oh, for sure. Is my favorite. Yeah. I saw L7 live a few times. Yeah, yeah. I actually I actually saw them open for the Melvins. Oh, yeah. Um, at, uh, at Janice Landing many, many years ago. And I was never a huge L7 fan, and I liked the Melvins a lot, but I wanted to see them both. And L7 just, I mean, I don't know, man. I just, I was so driven by their act. The next night I drove to Orlando. Not that that's that far of a drive, but Watch I was like, them again. I got to see them again. That's badass. And I love that band. I love everything about L7. And I think that they're just, Danita Sparks is just, She's just where it's at. Yeah. Yeah. I love her. So, well, so before we end, I'd be remiss. Uh, Ann Mansfield, who's been on the show, we've become friends on Facebook. Her band, the Nervous Girls, have an LP out called Hunger, and they've released a couple of tracks off of a new album that they're putting out. And this new one is just badass. Uh, the example I gave, and you'll appreciate this, is if you had Carrie Brownstein singing on Disintegration. Wow. They gotten really kind of ethereal, atmosphery, shoegazy, but with that kind of Riot girl punky voice and mm -hmm. it just really works and it's badass. So excited to see on a on the local stage. Nice. Yeah, what's gonna happen there. But this is this might be one of our favorite my favorite shows I've done with you. Cool. Good flow, good topic, good subject I matter. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for reaching out, making the time on your Friday. Um I can't wait to put this out and hear what people think about it. Thank um, you. It's a it's a nice uh you know, these are educational. These are like our uh, TED Talks. That we're gonna, <laughs> we, I, I got to come up. If you're not going to be Larry Bud Melman or Chris Elliott, or, you know, we're going to have to call them Gabe Talks or something. <laughs> Love it. So anyway, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank Hope you. you have a nice weekend. And uh, we got to start working on our next topic. Yes, sir. All thank right. you. Take care.